0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 11. We're going to skip ahead because this is Palm Sunday. And so I thought it would be fitting for us to uh, look at Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. This is a typical, traditional passage to look at on Palm Sunday. (coughs) Uh, Traditionally, this has been the beginning of Holy Week or Passion Week. For, for centuries, the church has focused in on Jesus' last week of life here as He uh, embraced His cross, as He went into Jerusalem, to the Passover, uh, just knowing that this was going to be His last Passover to celebrate with His disciples, knowing that He had suffering ahead that He was facing. Um, so, Mark chapter 11, the title of this message is Jesus the Meek and Majestic King. Jesus the Meek and Majestic King. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus doing something interesting uh, with, with those who He impacts. He, he, uh, he tells them oft- oftentimes to not say anything about His Messiahship, His his identity, who he is. Uh, but here, in Mark chapter 11, we see just an openness to his identity being spread. Okay? Because he knows that his time is coming soon and, and he didn't want to, to make make that happen prematurely. He stayed in step with the Father's tithing. Okay? And so he, he rides in. Actually, let's go ahead and read this. <clears throat> now when they drew near to Jerusalem... Beth, Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives Jesus said uh, sent two of his disciples and said to them go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat untie it and bring it if anyone says to you what are you doing with this say the Lord has need of it and we will send it back here immediately and when they went away And found a colt tied at the door Outside in the street They untied it And then some of those standing there Said to them What are you doing Untying the colt And they said to them What Jesus had said And they let them go And they brought the colt to Jesus Threw their cloaks on it And he sat on it And many spread their cloaks on the road And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. John tells us they were palm branches, right? That's Palm Sunday. That were cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! Verse 11, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he looked around at everything, it was already late, and he was um, out to Bethany with, um, with the twelve. And on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and he was seeing in a distance a fig tree in leaf. He went to see it, if, it could, if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it is not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit on you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. All that's people said? Amen. Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. Namely that Jesus displayed both humility and authority upon his arrival as the long awaited king. And he calls his people to make room for him in their lives through prayer and praise. Jesus displayed humility an authority upon His arrival as the long-awaited King, and He calls His people to make room for Him in their lives through prayer and praise. Jesus is the meek and majestic King. Remember how He described Himself in Matthew chapter 11? He said, I'm meek and lowly in heart. And here we see Jesus come riding on not a war horse, but on a donkey. Matthew quotes Zechariah 9.9 and says, This was to fulfill prophecy. This was to fulfill prophecy from Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so we see Jesus riding in on this donkey as fulfillment of prophecy. Okay? Humbly he came. Lowly and gentle in heart, he describes himself as, and he's riding in on this donkey, and I think it's interesting how he got the donkey. He tells his disciples to go get this donkey. So, so either, either he had the prearrangement set up, or he had some, some supernatural knowledge concerning this donkey that had been prepared for him, for holy purposes. It had been unused. It was, it was set apart, reserved for holy purposes, for the Lord to use it, to, to ride in on that donkey. He came in humility, loneliness, riding in on a donkey. Notice the response of the people as He did come. They're, they're, they're crying out, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest. This is a, a direct quote from uh, Psalm uh, 118, 25 and 26. And it says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And so here's King Jesus, the servant king, the meek King, who came to serve and give his life as a ransom, riding in. And prophecy is being fulfilled. This word, Hosanna, is an Aramaic expression that literally means, help I pray, or save I pray. By Jesus' time, it had become a strictly liturgical formula of praise. However, was used as an exclamation of praise. So I heard it described as this, explaining kind of how this um, this is used here. One, uh, Hosanna, like save as a as a petition, save now, save us, Hosanna, okay. To to praise, um, kind of being like this. So imagine your sports team, your sport, whatever you're, you're the Dallas Cowboys, Dallas Mavericks. Texas Rangers okay um, okay they the, the the Cowboys they got the ball and, and you're like you're like uh, get them get them go go run right go like get either tackle them or run run don't stop keep going and then and then okay so that's that's like you're telling them to do something but then but then you go you got them you got them you got them and you're praising your football team right so it goes from like like do this to you can do this or you're gonna do this. Right? Or you've done this, right? And so we got Hosea save. Save Lord. The Israelites have been waiting for a long time for a Messiah who would come and save them. They had many leaders that rose up and, and filled Often and and they failed often, and, and they would cry out to God, and God would be merciful to them. But they were all broken leaders, flawed leaders. And then Jesus shows up, the one who's flawless, the one who's righteous, the one who's humble. The long awaited king showed up to save. And they were looking and expecting this. This Messiah to be a political, military kind of leader who would who would overthrow the Roman government. Their expectations for Messiah were 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 not fulfilled for many of them. Many of them were expecting what Jesus what Revelation tells us, Revelation nineteen, how Jesus is gonna come the second time. Okay? To judge. He's going to come the second time riding on a white horse with power and glory and we're, and we're going to see Him in His fullness bring His kingdom. But the first time we see Him coming humbly, extending mercy, mercy and grace, meeting the poor and the broken and the lowly right where they're at. And next time we'll see Him coming bringing the fullness of, of His kingdom. But He showed up he showed up and displayed his humility. He was riding a borrowed donkey. The creator of the universe was riding a borrowed donkey. Okay, he lived. He lived on very little financially, right? He was he he, he humbled himself. He was born into a, a, a poor family, right? And he lived in obscurity for 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 most of his life. And he embraced it. He embraced a humble life. And then we see Jesus uh, displaying his authority in this next section. We see him displaying his humility, just riding in humbly on a donkey. But then we see him getting in the temple and messing stuff up. Turning tables. All right, now this, this must have been an emotional time, by the way, for Jesus, for, uh, because we see one this, this kind of this high of Hosanna, these praises, and I'm sure that, that moment felt really good for him. Like this is fulfillment. This is the kingdom's coming, this is fulfilling prophecy. Jesus knew what was happening, and he knew he was going to die. Luke tells us that he wept over Jerusalem. During this time. Luke's account. By the way, this this story, this the the entry, the the triumphal entry as it's called into Jerusalem, is in every one of the gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's important. It's important for us to get this is my first time to preach a sermon on this. Alright? And and so so Jesus shows up humbly and he shows up with his authority. Now we see him cursing this fig tree, right? Oh, let me go back here. So emotionally, he was—he was. There was this praise. This—it must have felt really good for for people to recognize who he was, and he was no longer like, "Hey guys, tone it down, tone it down. You're gonna get us in trouble, all right? You know, my time's not yet." He wasn't doing that anymore. He was openly letting them say what they were saying, implying that He's the King, that He's the Messiah, that He's the one who's here to save. And the Pharisees, when you read the other Gospels, they're like, do you hear what, these, do you hear what they're saying? Like, tell them to hush, right? And one of the Gospels says, if, if, if they don't, then the rocks will cry out, right? Uh, uh, out of the mouth of babes comes perfected praise. He quotes Psalm 8, right? And so, so Jesus there's this there's this powerful prophetic moment in history. This is it. This is what Israel's been waiting for. This is the redemption. The redeemer has come. The king has come. But the expectations that the average Jewish person had were a little bit different of what that would look like. Jesus' kingdom was countercultural, counterintuitive. It was then and it was still today. Again, the way up is down. The way to life is death. The way to be great is to serve. Right? There's just so many. The first shall be last. There's so many paradoxes in the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus shows up as this humble king. But yet he shows up with authority. He shows up with authority. So there's this, there's this interesting story about the, the, the fig tree where he curses it. Right? So he's hungry. He goes up to this fig tree. It had leaves on it, which should imply, that implies there should be some figs, there should be some fruit, there should be something to snack on on it, and there's not. And so then Jesus curses the fig tree. I don't think just Jesus was like throwing a fit, like, like, you know, like an immature person, like, well, you know, you didn't have what I needed, like a toddler that didn't get their snack, right? I think what theologians point out here, that this was an acted out parable. So this is an acted-out parable. Now, think about this, because Matthew and Mark both put these two together: uh, the fig tree and the temple. Okay, the fig tree and the temple. You see, you see that Jesus walked into the temple, and what he saw disturbed him; it angered him. So he was he was weeping over Jerusalem because they missed the time of their visitation. They didn't realize God had showed up. Many of them didn't. Some, some here uh, or many here were were praising him coming in, uh, but he wept over the reality that judgment was coming. And and Luke, Luke 19 tells us. Um, I believe Matthew 23 as well describes Jesus weeping. So we got this emotional time. This is it. This is the this is the week. This is it's it's he's he's moving towards the cross, the grave. And the resurrection, what he came for. And so he walks in the temple, verse 5. It says, uh, He entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Now remember, pigeons, oftentimes the poor would, would get pigeons. Like those are like the cheapest thing you can get, right? For a sacrifice, so get a pigeon. You don't have a lamb or cattle or whatever to sacrifice. Just get the pigeon. You know, a couple. You know, just a little bit. You know, if you get. Um, and so uh, he he he's, he's come, He comes in and he's disrupting business in the temple, in the court of the Gentiles. Okay, this was an area. This is the outer court of the Gentiles, um, outer court of the temple where where non-Jewish people were allowed to go in. They were allowed to go in. And this was the place, the, the outer court was there, so that, that those who aren't yet in the community and don't worship the one true God, Yahweh, they don't worship Him, they, they can come in and experience God and be shown the way and taught the way. But instead of being met with the presence and the peace and the teaching of God, of Scripture... They're they're met with business activity, business happening, okay? Now, I'm sure you've been in market before, and you know how busy and noisy market is, whether it's a bazaar, or whether uh, you go, you know, to, like, uh, in other countries. I've been over in India, uh, Mexico, and just different places where there's just, you know, uh, markets, outdoor markets, and there's just all kinds of stuff going on. It's busy, it's loud. You bring livestock into it, it's, it's stinky, it's messy. Josephus, just the historian, estimated that there was about 255,000 lambs sacrificed a year during Passover week. 255,000 Passover lambs. Okay? So there's a lot of livestock coming through the outer courts of the temple. A okay? lot of activity, a lot of animals, a lot of business happening. And Jesus is mad about it because it's a misrepresentation of what the temple was to be about. People weren't getting their spiritual needs met there. They were, they were being confronted with business. And Jesus overturns the tables. And notice what he he what his design and his, his, uh, what he designates his house, the temple, to be called. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He quotes Isaiah. My house shall be a house of prayer, a place where there's communion and connection with God. It's not about making money. And, and he's upset because, he says, because you have made it a den of robbers. Okay, so we have got money exchange, for, you know, we got selling and business happening, and so so each each year, so Jerusalem's population would I think triple, um, a, a triple or more uh, in, in Passover week. So Jews would come and make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. All right. And when you're traveling on foot, and you're traveling like you know, like they were in those days, it's not very convenient to bring all your li- livestock with you, your sacrifices, right? And so, what would the, the the selling that was happening in the temple, in the outer courts, the court of the Gentiles, was it kind of made it convenient for people to just you know buy their sacrifice right there and then give their sacrifice right there, um, but it was attracting. According to Jesus, robbers and thieves. People whose focus was not on prayer, was not on the glory of God, not on the praise of God, not on connecting with God, but making a buck off of religion. And that's what happens today. And it, it, it irks me too. It irks me when people use religion to to make themselves rich. Okay? The prosperity gospel message and, and the, the distortion of using religion to uh, and seeing it godliness as a means of gain as Paul describes it. Right? This this bothered Jesus. Okay? And, and so the fig tree that didn't that had leaves but no fruit was kind of like Israel in the temple here. There was a lot of business activity happening in the court of the Gentiles but Where's the fruit? Where's the life? Where's the prayer? Where's the connection with God? Where's the glory? The glory of God being recognized? And so this was way to Jesus. And so he comes in and he displays his authority as the king of kings, as the Messiah. Okay, the chief priests and the, um, the chief priest and the scribes, they didn't like what he did. I think in Matthew's Gospel, and maybe further Luke, or Matthew, he, they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? Are you teaching these things? Right? And so then he turns around and asks them, them a question about John the Baptist and his authority, and they don't answer, and so he doesn't answer as well. He's so Jesus is just slick like that. Yeah, Mark 11, uh, 27. He said, they came to Jerusalem... Um, um, verse uh, yeah twenty eight and they said to him by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you this authority to do them? Uh, he just walks in the temple and he's over you know just disrupting business right and Jesus said to them I'll ask you one question answer me and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things was the baptism of John from heaven or from men answer me they discussed it with one another saying if we say from heaven he will say, "Why then do you not believe me?" But shall we say for men they were? But shall we say from men they were afraid of the people? They all held John uh, held that John really was a prophet, and so they answered Jesus, "We do not know." <laughs> Let's just play it say, We don't know. <laughs> trying to be politically correct like the, like let's, let's not get ourselves in trouble here and Jesus said to them neither will I tell you by what authority do I do these things but he was displaying his authority he was displaying his authority he was displaying the heart of God God cares about people connecting with him and this was a, a house of prayer not just for the Jewish people but for all nations Notice you see the heart of God for a a global kingdom, right? Not just a a national kingdom of Israel, but a global kingdom and and a global house of prayer. A prayer for all people, all nations. And that's what we see happening in the New Testament. We see see Gentiles, non-Jews, coming to faith, coming to know Jesus. And what we see in Revelation... As we see in Revelation, we see every tribe and every tongue worshiping God around the throne. Worshiping the Lamb who was slain, who's redeemed us. And so Jesus showed up, displayed His humility, He displayed His authority, and we see that His house is to be a place that's designated for prayer. We see that it's appropriate for you and I to praise who He is, to respond to who He is with praise and with prayer, because He is our King. And there's really only two options. We We could either crown Him as King, praise Him as King, or we can join those who say, crucify Him, and treat Him as an enemy. We can't serve two masters. He, we're either going to be loyal to Him and give our allegiance and affection and devotion to Him as our King, or we're going to reject His authority and be among the scoffers and those who say, crucify Him. And perhaps some of the same people who were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Who were so positive about His, uh, his arrival Perhaps some of those same voices were shouting just days later, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! We see in verse 18 that the chief priests and the scribes, when they heard it, uh, were seeking a way to destroy Him. They wanted to destroy Him. He's disrupting our business here in the temple. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Coming in and turning over tables. Messing up our business. And surely, these guys, you know, these chief priests, these leaders, benefited from the profits that were being made in the, the court of the Gentiles. Right? And the, the, the Gospels tell us that they were, many of them were lovers of money. <clears throat> many of the religious leaders were lovers of money. And so they sought to destroy him. This this plot to take Jesus' life was in motion. And here, Mark says, for they feared him. They were afraid. This wasn't, this wasn't a godly fear. This was a fear like, we better stop this guy. We better hush this guy up, lest he mess with our little kingdom. Right? Either we're going to crown him as king of kings, or we're going to crucify him. We're going to say, we're going to reject his authority and say, I don't want you reigning over my life. And here at City Church, we are committed to bowing our knee to King Jesus. Bowing our knee to King Jesus. Because one day we know that every knee will bow before Jesus. Philippians 2 tells us, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we want to bow now. Because when He returns on that white horse to come to judge the living and the dead, and we stand before Him and we give an account, there's no changing sides at that point. There's no changing sides. Either we're in or we're out. And so we bow our knees now before God, before the throne of mercy and grace, and experience His mercy and grace. Jesus came to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. And we embrace what he's given us through his death on the cross. This plot to kill him was ultimately all a part of the Father's plan. Though it was sinful and wrong for these leaders to plan this and to execute a crucifixion of this godly rabbi, it was the plan of God so that we might experience the Hosanna, the being saved through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. And so they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And so let me, let me close here early with just a couple, couple of application points. I've already said this, give King Jesus your allegiance, your affection, your praise, because He is worthy of it. He's worthy of every bit of sacrifice you and I can give. He's worthy of you and I pouring out our lives to Him in surrender, in devotion, giving Him honor and praise due His name. It was right for the crowds to sing Hosanna and and and, and throw the, uh, the the palm branches down before him and, and to, to use the cloaks for the disciples to use their outer garments as a saddle on the donkey for him and to obey Jesus to go get this donkey for him uh, so that he can fulfill prophecy. Right? It was it was fitting for there to be an allegiance and obedience and, and a praise offered up to Jesus the king because he is the king. And when you don't see him for who he is and his worth, you won't respond like these folks did. You'll respond like the Pharisees did, the scribes did. When you don't see the worth of Jesus, but when you see the worth of Jesus, and you see the authority of Jesus, and you see the beauty of Jesus in the meekness and the majesty, In the humility and the authority. In the love and the power. In the sovereignty and the mercy. When you see him for who he is, it elicits a response of surrender, of allegiance, of affection, and praise. I think those who don't respond like that don't see him accurately. How could we not? Respond in in complete surrender to the beauty of who He is, to His goodness, to His kindness, to His love. And lastly, make room for Jesus in your life by being a house of prayer. By being a house of prayer. Let's not be like the fig tree that has leaves and looks like it's fruitful and alive. Let's, let's not just busy ourselves with a bunch of religious activity as if that equals communion with God and fruitfulness that overflows from abiding in the vine. Right? Let us be connected to Him through prayer, slowing down. And it may, it may mean letting Jesus come and turn some tables over in our hearts, and our lives, and just shake some things up and change our schedules a little bit and change the way we're planning and thinking about our lives and, and structuring our lives. Let's let Him come in and do whatever's shaking. Clear the stage. I there's, there's a song called Clear the Stage. Clear the stage. And, and, and the song talks about just, um, you know, not letting the the, the, the spotlight of the stage uh, rob us from communion with God. and just talks about staying home, and I'm just going to seek God, I'm just going to pray, I'm going to cast down my idols. Clear the stage. Perhaps there's some of us that need to do that in our lives. Clear the stage for Jesus. Let Him overturn the tables, and let Him... Let Him bring us to a place of just simple prayer, silence and solitude before Him where where He's all we need and He's enough. So if you're watching online or you're here among us and Jesus hasn't been reigning as King in your life, today's a good day to bow your knee. Today is a good day to call upon Him for salvation. To surrender your life, your plans, your agenda, your sin that He died for. Lay it down. He's dishing out mercy freely today, open-handedly. He's giving invitations for mercy, for grace, for rest, for salvation today. Paul says, today's the acceptable time. Now's the acceptable time. Today's the day of salvation. Don't put it off because we will see the King return in power and glory and there's not going to be time to switch sides at that point. We have time now. Time for mercy now. Seek the Lord while He may be found, the Scripture tells us. Call upon Him while He will answer. And so i just like to respond um, with the time of... With the time of prayer, um, communion, I'm going to leave it in a song. And if you're here and you would like prayer for anything, or if you would like to uh, give your life to the Lord, Facebook us online, message us online, let us know. If you're ready to bow your knee to Jesus for the first time, or maybe you need to rededicate your life to Jesus and trust that what He did for you was enough. For your sins, his sacrifice, going to the cross, going to the grave, and next week we're gonna celebrate his resurrection. He got up out of the grave. He's alive, and he promises that we're gonna rise with him. There'll be no more disease, no more death, no more suffering, no more sickness. And the aches and the groans that we feel about this broken world in which we live will no longer be present. Because we'll dwell in an eternity without the presence of sin, and sickness, and suffering. Because our King came to make all things new. And He promises us He will. If you all would bow with me, if you would like, um, just, if anybody would like to bow their knee or just bow your head before God. In prayer, let's express from our hearts and with our body language that He's King of our lives. And if you're struggling right now and you got something you're holding on to that you're having a struggle to let go of, just hold your hands out before you like this and just try to open your hands up to Him and release whatever that thing is. That you've been holding on to, that you need to let go and allow Him to come and change things. I'm going to lead us in a prayer from.